Praise God. It is awesome that God is still moving. He's not stopped. He's not limited. He's not reduced in any sort of way. We serve a God who is greater than anything that we could come against. Amen. 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 We're going to just start off with a couple of scriptures here in Ephesians chapter 2. And if you just stand with me for a moment and just uh, honor the reading of the word. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm so thankful. My wife and all four of our kids. We got all four, right? One, two, three, four. All right. All four of them are here. And uh, it's just great for them to be able to come into this place and worship the Lord with y'all. Your kindness towards our family is incredible. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's an incredible scripture. It's, it's not just talking about uh, the doctrine. It's talk, not just talking about how we enter into the kingdom. It is talking about the benefits uh, that appear to those that come with being a part of his kingdom. Basically, we sung about the throne room. What he's saying is we have entered into the throne room and now sit in these heavenly places these heavenly places of authority, these heavenly places of power, these heavenly places, they're like, you know, they're the VIP section. They are reserved. And he is saying, you as the church of the living God have walked into this place and you are supposed to be so comfortable operating in this dimension that you can sit down with Christ Jesus himself. What? powerful blessing that is. And for a little bit tonight, I just want to talk about replacement royalty. If you'd close your eyes, I know we've prayed, but we're going to pray one more time. And we're going to believe God to do his perfect will today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, right now, I pray that there would be liberty in this place. Lord, would you loose every heart and every mind. I come against fear in the name of Jesus. We quiet the voice of the storm right now. Let this be a sanctuary where we can hear from the very throne room of heaven, mighty God. Speak into our hearts. Speak into our minds. Speak into our lives, oh God. Reach to where every single person is, God, and speak to them, mighty God. Whether they're in here in this room, God, or watching online, God, you're not limited by time or by space, God. You can even reach into the living room where they are, God, and do a miracle in their life, Jesus. And God, we stretch our faith to believe, God, that as you have lifted us up into these heavenly places, God, that we would operate and do what you want us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's clap our hands one more time to the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We glorify you, Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen and amen. You may be seated right now. This, these heavenly places is a unique phrase that is, is found the most in the book of Ephesians. In fact, the, the greatest number of places this idea is communicated is in the book of Ephesians. The Ephesian church was, was given much revelation that God had done such great things in this church that now he was wanting to do great things through this church. It is this place that we have the scripture, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't, we don't, we wrestle against principalities and powers and, 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 and spiritual wickedness in high places. Or if another translation, it's the same word in the heavenly places. You see, God elevates his church to a place of operating in the spiritual dimension. You see, it's not the minor leagues anymore. God is elevating his people to operate in the spirit where things really matter, where the things you pray don't just affect your personal life, and don't just affect your family, and maybe don't even just affect your church, but that you could get on your knees and pray and to operate in such a way that people on the other side of the world are affected by your prayers. You have heard the many stories of missionaries like Nona Freeman and, and miracles that were happening and find out years later it was because someone was praying on the other side of the world. It is a place of authority. It is a place of power. And what God is trying to do in us is to elevate us into that place of responsibility that no one else has had. He elevates people from low to high. Uh, Hannah said it this way in 1 Samuel chapter 2, he, saying of the Lord, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. He is referring then that when God starts to elevate someone and bring a people into a higher place of authority, he lifts us up. You see, the world and the enemy, the devil, is all about pushing down. God is all about lifting us up. God is all about taking us from the muck and the mire and the mud and the mess of this world and to lift us so high that we even sit in the heavenly places with Jesus. 
What a dramatic change he's done in our lives. And I know many people in here can testify. And, and that's your story. That, that once you were lost, but now you are found. That once you were blind, but now you see. That once you were in the mud, but now you live a life of the miraculous. And we have to remember that, that God still does miracles, that God still breaks the chains of addiction, that God still breaks the the bondage of sickness and disease. And when we pray for someone to be healed, like we prayed a few minutes ago, there has to be a conviction and a belief in us that I might get a phone call tonight about them being healed, and we're going to celebrate and glorify by God, because God still does miracles today. God is still in the miracle working business. And also, if we noticed what we said in Ephesians, he mentions it twice in verse 6, that he's done it for us together. See, there's... The kingdom, there's not really cowboys in the kingdom. You know, we're used to John Wayne kind of strolling into the town and just taking care of business all on his own. But, but God is more interested in his church working together because we're not lifted up alone. We are lifted up together and we don't sit alone. We sit together. What God is wanting to do tonight, he will do with all of us together. There, it doesn't, what does that mean? That means if you're here in this place, watching online or participating in some way, then you have an opportunity today to be part of the miracle, to be part of what God wants to do today. The miracle that God wants to do we have to remember this, that as we have been lifted up, we, we sung about the throne room. And, the, you know, when you're lifted up into the heavenly places, the only places of sitting are really thrones. And we find a picture of this in Revelation that the saints are, and the elders, they represent the church of God, that we are lifted up. We will receive a crown, that we become royalty, that we become lifted up to rule with Jesus on this earth. That's a promise that's happening. But it's not just a promise for the future because as we've read, we've already been lifted up to sit together with Jesus. We have already been lifted up into this place of authority, of power, and of dominion. It's a place that few institutions can go. You see, the greatest things happening in the earth are not the things done by governments or science foundations or militaries or corporations or, or, or NGOs. The greatest thing that is happening in the earth right now is happening through the church of the living God. It's happening through the men and women sitting in this building. 
are happening through the blood-bought, spirit-filled people that have been redeemed. That is what is happening in this world, and it is the greatest thing that is happening in the earth right now. You are a part of something that's way bigger than you even realize. And you can say, well, I just showed up for Bible study. I didn't know we were going to get a pep talk. Well, I'm here to, yes, pep talk and give you and build you up and make you realize who you are. But there's also something there that we are replacement royalty. You see, we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of God. But you, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that there was a bride before It was the nation of Israel. And whereas God will restore that relationship and protect his nation and protect Jerusalem, all of those things, the moment where we live right now is the age of the church. We now sit with God in the place of authority, in the place of operation of the kingdom of God on the earth. It calls to remembrance the story of Esther. In Esther chapter number 2 and verse 17, it says, And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. There was a queen before Esther. Her name was Vashti. We have quite a bit of her story in the beginning of this book, but this book is an incredible account of the faithfulness of God. You see, God is going to be faithful to his church. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail us not. Great is his mercies. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. If you're a part of his church, God says, I'll be faithful to my church. God says, I can't forget my people. Uh, how could, if a mother could forget their own child, still I will not forget my people. Understand something that when you make a relationship, a covenant relationship with God, he's never going to forget you. He's never going to forget forsake you. He's never going to abandon you. And though there might be storms all around, God says, I will see you through. He's a faithful God. This book is recounting. It's all about replacement royalty. 
Because we see this idea uh, communicated all through the story. Vashti was queen when this story begins, but she basically did not obey the command of the king. And so she was replaced. And I know that this king was not a good king. He was a wicked king, likely asking something very wrong. But when it comes down to it, the queen was replaced because she didn't do what the king said. When we are in a place of authority and royalty, it is a place of responsibility. It is not just there for us to enjoy. You know, it's what Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker, right? With great power and great authority comes great responsibility. We are responsible for the power and the authority that God brings us into. We are responsible for what God has elevated us to. Think about that for a moment. That God, who has lifted us from the mud to to the palace, to sit in royal places, he now says, I'm not just putting you there to look pretty. When that crown came on Esther, there was a weight to it. There was a heaviness to it because there was a responsibility with it. With that crown come several things. You know, we the, the royal family in England has been in the news quite often over the past couple months, I guess. Uh, it's been in the news and people read up to it. Us Americans, we like to read up on, on the royals of England. We like to read about them from afar. We don't, you know, we didn't like it too much when they ruled over us, you know. So it's good for them to, to fill the tabloids and stuff like that. But we follow them, right? They're in the news. They do interviews and, and, and people watch them. But understand something about royalty. When the crown was on their head, when that weight is on them, you, you don't act the same way someone who's not royal acts. You're not going to see the Queen of England showing up at the local McDonald's, right? You've probably never seen the Queen of England in her comfy clothes on a Saturday afternoon, right? You, you dress differently when you're royalty. You speak differently when you are royalty. You, you associate with different people when you are royalty. You are different when you are royal. You have a different responsibility That's not saying you're better than everyone or you're greater than everyone. It says you have a different role to play. And we as the church, as royalty, have a role to play in these last days. We have to understand this responsibility that God has put on us as his church. Why? Because God's faithfulness operates through the faithfulness of his people. God's faithfulness will operate through your 
faithfulness. Do you feel that weight? That all the faithfulness of God that we sing about, that we remember, that we recall, that we, our grandparents or your, 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 your spiritual elders, your spiritual leaders, they refer to, it operates through your faithfulness to your role in this time and in this place. You see, there's another character, a couple other characters in this story. There is Mordecai, which, which has raised Esther, and, and just before, out around the time that she is elevated as queen, Mordecai saves the king's life and, and delivers him from an assassination plot. And so he is remembered in the royal scrolls and the history for saving the king. And after these things happen, in Esther chapter 3, Verse 1, it says, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman the Agagite and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Haman is an Agagite. Haman, as we'll read the story, is out to destroy God's people. But understand something that the enemy of God's people couldn't even get into position to do the things he wanted to do until God had already elevated Esther to be queen and Mordecai to be remembered. If you're facing an enemy, God's already elevated you to a place of authority and a place of promised victory. If you're facing it, he's already prepared you to overcome it. If, you've, if you're, what do they say? New, new level, new devil. It's not too far off from that. Haman was no one until Esther was elevated to be queen. Esther was nobody. But God said, I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to bring you up because I know that the enemy will try to destroy my people. But I'm going to prepare deliverance ahead of time. Before the dilemma even showed up to do anything, deliverance was already in place for God's people. Talk about the faithfulness of God that before you ever face the problem, God had already provided the miracle ahead of time. Hallelujah. He's already prepared his people to deal with whatever comes down the road. You see, we've, we've faced some things as a church globally over this last year. And I don't know whether it gets better, gets worse, or just gets different, all right? But all I know is this, that whatever comes around the corner or whatever comes down the road, God has already positioned his church to have victory and triumph over over it. God has promised deliverance to his people. Mordecai knew something about replacement royalty. You see, the two other characters, Mordecai and Haman, in this story, they are both descendants of royalty. 
Had everything gone correctly, both of them would have been sitting on a throne. You see, Haman and, and, and Mordecai, they, they would have some problems. It says in 3 verse 2, all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Mordecai refused to bow. He refused to honor this man, Haman. He refused to honor what he represented. Because Haman and Mordecai's families, they had a history. Their great, 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 great grandparents, their great grandfathers met before. In, it says in, in the book of, of uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's a story, the tragedy of King Saul. You see, the great this, uh, the, the great grandfather, great, you know, great ancestor of Mordecai was King Saul. And the great uh, 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 beginning, the great ancestor of Haman was the king of the Amalekites, Agag. In this day, long ago, these two families had met before. In 1 Samuel 15, 28, this is the end of that day. And Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from you this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than you. This is the day that Saul and his descendants would remember as the day they lost the throne. Agak was the king of the Amalekites. The Amalekites were a people of sinful that had done sinful things. And God had told Saul, go and kill every Amalek- Amalekite, smite Amalek, utterly destroy them. I don't want any of them around. Saul goes and he smites, he destroys the Amalekites. But in verse 8, he says he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Saul was commanded to destroy everything. Saul was king. Agag was king. And Saul was commanded to destroy them all. They they have done great evil. They have done great wickedness. Destroy 
them all. But Saul, because of his fear of his own people, said, I'm going to spare Agag. I'm going to have him come like my prisoner, and I'm going to get a lot of glory, and I'm going to get a lot of honor, and I'm going to get a lot of attention, and the people will love me because they will see that I have conquered this king. But Saul missed it. He missed what God was trying to do through him. It was a mistake that cost him the throne. Samuel would say in verse 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. This was the day they lost the throne. And it would be told from generation to generation. You could have been a king, my son. You could have been a prince. You could have lived in the, you could have lived in the palace. You could have had everything taken care of. But generation after generation would tell the story how King Saul, their ancestor, lost it all. They were replaced as royalty because of disobedience. The threat to replacement royalty is disobedience to the king. It's not even just that. It is incomplete obedience is the same as complete disobedience. God didn't even grade on a curve. He just said, you do it, Or you don't do it. Why? Because as you are elevated to a place of authority and power, the margins become a little bit smaller. And there's less room. My brothers, my sisters, in these last days, I don't know how much time we have left in this world, but I can almost see the margins getting smaller and smaller. God literally stopped the entire world and the entire church to get their attention and say, hey, your life needs to be found in me. What more does God need to give to the church or even to the world to show them the way of God? It's as if he's bringing it all down to a close. It's as if he's taken away every excuse there could be because there are people in, 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 in countries around the world that are watching even this stream and watching your church and watching churches all around the world. People who never heard about the word of God or the name of Jesus are now hearing it in these days. You see, God has lit 
literally thrust his church into being known all throughout the world in countries you've never even heard of or even ever been. God is reaching into those places to set up his kingdom because he will not be stopped by a law, by a king, by authority. He will do what he needs to do. He is setting his church up to a place of real impact in these last days. But I hear, I feel, I sense the responsibility of what that means. Because we as the church are the replacement royalty. There was a queen before. And if we are not careful, Someone who's never heard of God, God will go to a drug addict in the gutter to find them and bring them into the church and give them a a, a declaration and a word and have them declare the word of God. Why? Because God's kingdom will not be stopped. God's faithfulness will not be limited. God's power cannot be shut down. He will declare his word to this world. So here, Agag and Saul, they lose their thrones at this moment. And just like it was told from generation to generation on Saul's side, it was told from generation to generation on Agag's side, there was someone who took our throne from us. And isn't it right that there is an enemy of our soul who we have replaced in heaven and would try to destroy you and to swipe and let you lose your crown. There's still an enemy that would try to steal your soul from this church. He can't destroy the church, but if he can somehow separate and segregate someone from the church and bring them out, he'll do it. We have to be aware as individuals that there is an enemy who would try to destroy you. We have to be aware. And so when Mordecai Scenes Haman being elevated, he recognized something. I cannot bow to this man. I cannot bow to unfinished obedience. The danger to the play people in royal places into the places of authority is to somehow bow to old things that we just won't stop doing. Mordecai realized, if I let, if I bow to Haman, it'll be like my whole generation, my whole family again losing their throne. And so from Mordecai, he goes to Esther because Haman has been elevated. And once he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew, he doesn't just want to kill Mordecai. He wants to kill 
all of the Jews. He wants to kill all of the people. That's a, that's a, isn't that something? That problem with one person, somehow you want to kill everybody. Somehow you want to kill every single person that's associated with that person. That is the spirit of the enemy. That it just because you have a problem with one person at church, suddenly you don't go to church at all because that other person sitting across the row did something to somebody 10 years ago. You gotta forgive and you gotta move on. You can't let it threaten your royalty and your place in the kingdom. See, Haman got the king to order that on a certain day, every Jew would be killed throughout the kingdom. What a threat this was. I don't even know if we fully can understand if somehow on on CNN or Fox News, a, a law is written that all of a sudden, every single person that goes to a particular church is allowed to be killed and all their stuff allowed to be taken by those people who kill them. See, this was a monarchy. You had no rights. You had no appeal. This was a kingdom. And when the king's word was given out, the king's word was followed. And so the Jews, they cried out. They were worried. There was great problems throughout the kingdom. Why? Because their execution had been scheduled. But don't you know that even when you don't see God, he's still working. The incredible thing about this book of Esther, it is a complete story about the faithfulness of God. And yet God is never mentioned in one page or one verse of this entire book. Even when you don't see him or read him or feel him or hear him, he's still working. How? He's working through his people who he has elevated to positions of authority and power to do the things that others cannot do. He's elevated you into a position to speak things that have never been spoken before, to pray things that have never been prayed before, to do what's never been done before. Jesus said that greater works shall you do. I've got a big imagination, church. I want to see the greater miracles. I want to see the greater things. I want to see what no one else has seen before. There's got to be a desire in us to go to a place that's never been visited before in the Spirit. God's wanting to elevate us and is bringing us up to a place and a position of power. Why? Because you don't know what's coming down the road. Esther had been elevated. And so Mordecai, 
She begin, he begins to, 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 he tears his garments. He sits in sackcloth and in ashes. It's a, it's a sign of great lament and, and great brokenness and sadness. And, and Esther sees Mordecai in that position and says, what's wrong? What's going on? Sends messengers. All of these things. And through that, she hears about this command to destroy all of the Jews. And, and Mordecai says, hey, you, you need to go and you need to do something because you're in the right position to do it. And Esther at first is afraid. She says, she says don't you know that, that if you come before the king without being summoned and the king doesn't, you know, stretch forth his, his royal, uh, his, his, his rod, that you will die, even me as the queen? And this is Mordecai's response in Esther 4.13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, what does it say? Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You can hear in Mordecai's voice, so you understand something. My family was replaced as royalty because we didn't do what we were supposed to do when we were kings. We didn't do what we were supposed to do. We didn't do what we know was the right thing to do. So here is a man who is from a fallen dynasty appealing to the current queen and saying, hey, royalty can be replaced. I understand this. I am a replaced royal. I once was in a place of authority, but now I'm not. And the threat to God's people is coming from a dynasty that has fallen. And if you don't answer now, God will save his people. God's deliverance and enlargement will come from somewhere. But it might not be you who gets to be part of it. Do you feel that responsibility? That when we are replacement royalty, that when we have been elevated into these heavenly places, that God is saying, I'm putting you in a position to do things which no one else has done. What will you do when you are royal? What will you do? When you have been elevated to the heavenly places. What will you do when that opportunity comes? Whether in your family or at the grocery store or at the gas station or in your job or at your work site or in your neighborhood. There will be a moment that there will be a brush of his spirit to say this is the moment 
for royalty. This is the moment for my church to speak in authority and power. God does not bring you to a place of authority without giving you the power to execute his will. When he gave you his spirit, he gave you the power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. When he lifts you up, he lifts you up to a beautiful place, to a place that that many few people, that few people ever get to. He lifts his church to that place. But what he says is, I'm going to use my church, but it depends who will be in it at that moment. It's like the ark, Noah's ark. You see, the ark was going to come to safety. The ark was going to come to deliverance. The ark was going to get through the problems and the destruction of the old world. The ark was going to get through to a place of safety and security. The only question is, who is going to be in the ark? Who is going to sit on the throne and execute God's will when God says, it's time for you to act? See, the crown is not just on our head for us to look pretty. (laughs) The crown isn't just there so we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, look at us. Look what God has brought us from. You know, I don't have mud on me anymore. I don't have to go to the bar anymore. I, my marriage is put back together. My, my kids are, are serving God. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't do those things anymore. It's not just for you. He's lifted you up for a purpose, to do his will in these last days. You see, the story goes that Esther says, I will act now. And through her actions, God provides deliverance and enlargement to his people. What does it say? It doesn't matter what you're facing now. The kingdom of God will be larger and will be more powerful than on this side of it. I've, I've said it to our church in Malaysia that that I don't, at the very beginning, almost uh, a year ago, almost exactly, I said, I don't know what is all going to happen over this time, but I do know this, that the kingdom of God, that the church of the living God will be stronger, will be greater, will be larger at the end of this than at the beginning. The question is, will I be part of it? Will I be part of it? God wants us to be part of the deliverance. God wants to work with us. He's not just going to do it all by himself. What does it say he did in the church in the beginning? He said he confirmed the word with signs following. What kind of deliverance? does God want to do through your life? Perhaps you feel the crown. Perhaps you remember where God has brought you from. That God is taking you 
from a very far place. And you want to show thanks to God. And you want to give thanks to God. And, and you come to church on Sundays and Monday night prayer and Wednesday night. And your small groups. And, and you do all of those things. And you're doing them. But, but you have to understand something. There's going to come a moment where God's going to say, I put the crown on you. Are you going to act as my royal representative? Because there's people that only you can reach. That only you can deliver. That only you can intercede for. And God has brought you to them for such a time as this. God wants to reach them through you. But if we, for whatever reason, out of fear out of apathy, out of whatever, just the busyness of life. If we say, not me, then will enlargement and deliverance, a witness, someone else will reach to them. But us, we've missed what God was trying to do through my life. Would you stand with me? The Bible is written from a collectivist point of view. We are in in an individual society. We are very much, you know, my truth, my way of living. I do my thing, you do your thing. You know, that's that's our that's our American culture. It's very much individual. But the Bible was written by and originally to collectivist society. What does that mean? There is no difference between me and us. We work together. That's why it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, what? They are the sons of God. It doesn't say, it talks about if you and you are a son, it says sons, because it's supposed to evoke an image that we work together as the children of God. And all through scripture, you begin to see it, that God wants to use us together because his promises are to the church. The promises, but we know that all things work together for good. To who? To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. To them. It's a promise to the church. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. That word is talking about the collective. It's talking about to the church. All of those promises are to the church. And in order for me to be a part of the promises, the power, and the provision that are to the church is for me to act as the church. To act as if I am the only person who will reach my neighbor. To act as if I am the only person that can help them. Because I know Jesus. And I know that God still takes people from mud and puts them to sit in majestic places. If we know that truth and we have seen it in our lives, 
how much more should we act upon it? At the close of Esther, a great feast was pronounced, the Feast of Purim. And this was the proclamation of that feast. Mordecai wrote and sent letters to all the Jews, nine far. In verse 21, it says, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. There is coming a final day of celebration for the church. There is coming a day, a moment where we'll see Jesus face to face. I never want to go to that moment with regret, thinking about my neighbor who I could have witnessed to, thinking about my, my, my family member who I could have told them. It's supposed to be a day of joy. I want to go there with my hands full of sheaves from the harvest. I want to go to that moment to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. The faithfulness of God appeared to the Jewish people through the faithfulness of one lady at one time. God's faithfulness will operate in this church and it will operate through our individual faithfulness as a part of the church of the living God. You matter to this church. You matter to the kingdom of God. You can make a difference. God has both empowered you and positioned you to make a difference. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss what God is trying to do through you in these last days. If you close your eyes, we're going to close right now. And as I pray, I pray that you would make a commitment that whether you, if someone came to your mind, maybe through this, something that you're supposed to do, maybe you're supposed to pray for someone, maybe you're supposed to witness to someone, tell someone about Jesus, teach them a Bible study, call them, make, a, make amends, forgive someone, whatever that thing that came to your mind that you're supposed to do and that you're in a position to do, I pray that as we pray in closing, that you would commit to doing it. What has God brought you to the kingdom for this moment for? Lord Jesus, God, you have elevated this church into a place of authority and power, God. God, you are lifting up this
this group, mighty God, to do things that have never been done before, mighty God. Lord, they're, they're reaching into the Arabic community just this past week, God. And as, I don't know if that's been done before by the Pentecostal church. Oh, God, you're bringing this church into a place of authority and power. And God, you are moving on individuals in this place. You're moving on me, God, to do those things which we know we're supposed to do, God, because your faithfulness will be accomplished, mighty God. It will happen, God. The question is, will it work through each of us? So, God, I pray for boldness for each of my brothers and my sisters here. I pray that you would order their steps, mighty God. I pray that you would speak to them clearly, mighty God. Whether you speak to them in this moment, you speak to them tonight, you give them a dream, you wake them up in the morning, but oh God, let them realize that you have called them to do your will in these last days, Jesus. And God, help us to be the church and to be the kingdom for such a time as this, God. We don't know when you're coming, but God, it feels like awfully soon. We don't know how many days we have left on this earth, but God, we will be faithful in every single one of them because you lifted us up to do your will, Lord Jesus. God, I come against every opposition in the name of Jesus. I speak against fear right now. I loose them from fear, from doing whatever their faith is stretching them to do, mighty God. Let them go beyond even that their faith may stretch, oh God, and that we would see things which have never been seen before, mighty God. Do it through this church. Do it through these individuals and do it this week, mighty God. Let them see it. Let them feel it. And let them walk in it, mighty God. Lord, I pray your blessing will be upon them, that you would order their steps, you would bless their families, bless their health, bless their finances. Lord, as they seek and do your will first, mighty God, you promise to add everything else unto them, mighty God. So as they do your will first and your kingdom first, take care of everything else, Jesus. Bless them. Bless them for their investment tonight. Bless their families, their kids. Let them sleep well tonight, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and thank Him for His goodness. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Be the royalty to this world. God bless you.